0: Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were cold. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. That is, our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise, persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing, No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. But such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Thank you.
1: Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you that we can come together around your word now. We have listened to it while it was read. And Lord, we pray that through your spirit we may understand what we have read. That it doesn't remain foolishness to us, but that we grasp its wisdom that comes from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have you ever tried a gospel conversation with someone... And gotten this reaction, that doesn't make sense to me. What you're saying is so unlikely, it is against all reason. Sorry, I fear I'm too intelligent intelligent to buy a message like that. How do you react to that? Do you immediately come up with clever arguments to prove him wrong and that the gospel does make sense? I fear if you tried, the reaction will still be, it doesn't make any sense to me. Sorry. You know what? Actually, that person is quite right. What we believe doesn't make sense to our human mind. For instance, what do you think of the statements of the Apostles' Creed that Chris just read with us, the age-old Confession? that all Christian churches subscribe to. I believe in God, a creator of heaven and earth. I believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he was born from a virgin. I believe in the resurrection of the body and in the life everlasting. It's that these things are so familiar to us in church that we don't cringe when we hear them, but they are actually outrageous Unbelievable statements. They don't make any sense to our human mind. So your friend is right. It doesn't make any sense. And you better admit to that. And tell them so. You're right. But this is exactly what the Bible teaches. The message of the cross is foolishness indeed. But then in our text, verse 18, Paul qualifies this statement. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, you can divide people in many ways, male and female, rich and poor, colored and white, or as the Jews did, Jews and Gentiles. Or as the Greeks did, we are the Greeks and all the rest are barbarians. In our text we find a dividing line, which is very different. But actually, that is the only dividing line in the world that really matters. There are those who are perishing, and those who are being saved and you belong to either or There is no third option it's striking that Paul uses in this sentence a continuous sense to indicate the people he means he said some are perishing that is they are in the process of dying they are not dead yet but they are on their way to a final separation from the God of life. Others are being saved. They are put on a path that leads to eternal life. And the thrilling question is, what determines the difference between these two kinds of people? And the answer, Paul gives is this, it is the message of the cross and the way people react to it. To one group, it's only foolishness. But for the other, it is the power of God. Now think for a moment of this uh, Corinthian congregation Paul is addressing here. They had personally experienced the power of the cross. In the ancient world, the city of Corinth was known for being an affluent city, a business city, and a well-known harbor. But not only that, Corinth also boasted to have a famous red light district. And in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 we read, Don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards or slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. So that means the the Christian congregation of Corinth counted ex-hookers and their customers under its membership There were ex-homosexual prostitutes and their lovers in the church. Ex-alcohol addicts and ex-swindlers. That is what some of you were. You wouldn't give such people much hope of ever being able to change their life. They were completely caught in it and addicted to it. They couldn't even think of another way of life. What has changed these people? What has the power to turn such fallen human beings into beautiful people praising Jesus Christ for his wonderful love? There's only one answer to it. It was the message of the cross. That message, accepted in faith, had changed him. And take note of this. It wasn't Paul's impressive preaching or convincing arguing that had changed him. It was only the power of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to chapter 2, verse 4. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. So that is what the Corinthians could relate to. The enormous change in their life was not caused by Paul's admonitions and encouragements to give away their sinful lifestyle, but it was by the power that is in the message of the cross. The message of the cross was deeply cherished by those who accepted it and consequently saw their lives completely turned around. It's no wonder that the early Christian church chose the cross as their main symbol. There is power in the cross, friends. A power to change. For them... And for us, there's only one thing that is able to break the bond of sin. It's the cross. Our text confirms again and again that such a message is utter foolishness to people. Chapter 2, verse 14. The man without a spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them. He cannot, even if he wanted to, or try to, he cannot. Now the surprise is that is exactly how God had designed it. And not just since Jesus came and the cross was erected on Calvary, or that that the Apostle Paul started. It's preaching, no, from old. God had planned it just like that. Verse 19, Paul quotes Isaiah 29, where God said, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Paul sees the truth of Isaiah's 700 years old prophecy all around him. And so he says, Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Now think again of these Corinthians and their past. The Greeks loved their philosophers. They hung on their lips to hear what kind of wisdom may come from their mouth. But was there any power in that wisdom? To change their life? Nil. Zilch. Words. Words. Powerless. Powerless words. That's all they had to offer. And there was no way that their wisdom could lead to a living relationship with God. Their wisdom could not provide any life-changing power. But God could. In his wisdom, he had designed his own way to create such a relationship with people. And he did it with a kind of smile. He was pleased, says Paul, he was pleased to do it his way. Verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom didn't know God, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. God made salvation possible, not by clever arguments to persuade our human mind, but rather through faithfully, Accepting in the heart what was preached to them. So preaching the gospel is the key. Now unfortunately, preaching doesn't always have that magic effect on people, coming to repentance and turning to God. What did the Jews say when Jesus c- claimed that he came from heaven? We don't believe what you're saying? But if you you show us a miraculous sign to support your claim, then we might believe you. Jesus proved this point many times over, but they still did not believe him. Not because the signs were not convincing. The signs were clear enough. Why then did they refuse to believe him? And I think they have a common human problem. Deep down, every man's problem is this. If God really exists, and if Jesus is God himself, then he is entitled to our obedience to him. And we don't like that. We'd like to maintain our position as king of our own life. See, many people are prepared to think about God but always on their own conditions. God has to fulfill their expectations. That was clear from the reception Jesus got from the Jews. And by the way, the Greeks did the very same. Paul writes, Greeks look for wisdom. Well, that's indeed what they did. But they had already formulated their own wisdom, their own human wisdom. And they had created their specific Greek worldview, And they were pretty proud of it. Now, if Paul can add with his preaching to their wisdom, he's welcome to make a contribution. Greeks always look for wisdom. But when Paul confronts them with the message of the cross, they laugh at him. Come on, Paul. What kind of wisdom is that? That is mere foolishness. You can't fool us with that kind of nonsense. So the Greeks did exactly the same as the Jews. They wanted to accept God. They wanted to know about it, but on their own terms. And that's very much the same today. If you would speak about someone about God who created this world, people will say things, but well, if there is a God, he would have prevented the misery I'm going through. Or if there is a God, a God of love, uh, he wouldn't allow war and disasters to happen. Sorry, I cannot believe in a God who makes such a mess of this world. Do you hear it? Same argument. God has to fulfill our expectations Otherwise, we refuse to believe in him. And we think we are so wise in doing that. Friends, let's fix one thing in our minds. If we want understanding. And it's this. God is not there to fulfill our expectations of him. And the mirror of this truth is, we are there to fulfill God's expectations of us. So we have to listen What God says to us and act upon it. So let's continue. 22. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. We preach Christ crucified. What do we make of that? That doesn't seem to make much sense. I fear, that's why also in churches we don't often hear that, preaching Christ crucified. People can imagine that, that in churches, ministers would preach about Christ or about Jesus. And for many people, Jesus is a great example to follow. So nobody minds if churches preach about Jesus and his teachings. But that is not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ crucified. For without a cross, there is no resurrection. And without resurrection, there is no eternal life. No hope for this world. No matter how inspiring Jesus' life may have been. And how wonderful preachers can speak about that. Preaching Christ crucified, that, will, that message will always meet with resistance. It doesn't make sense to the human mind, simply because it doesn't give what our natural heart desires. Imagine between us and God, there is an impenetrable wall. And it's the wall created by our own personal sins. And there's no way that from our side we can get through to God. But thankfully, in that wall, there is an opening. An opening created by God himself from his side. And that opening has the shape of a cross. From this side of the wall, it doesn't look much like an opening at all. It's too narrow by all human standards. The Jews didn't see anything in it. They were waiting for a powerful Messiah who could solve their problems. A man on a cross did not fit into that expectation. Jews are interested, not interested in the Messiah like that. So that became their stumbling block. And with the Gentiles, the non-Jews, it was the same. To a Roman, a crucifixion was something very offensive. I didn't even want to hear about it. So here we do have a major problem. The Jews... God's original people as well as Gentiles, rest of the world, have an inbuilt resistance against the offensive message of the cross. Will there be anyone left who considers the message long enough to see something in it and be saved? And the answer is, thankfully, there is. God himself will take specific Action, And you find it in the next verse. God is going to call certain people. He has people in mind to whom he wants to give an understanding of the message of the cross. And he calls them, not in their mind, but in their heart. So somehow he manages to focus people's attention on Christ crucified and I think there is a message indeed in in that Christ crucified because it forces the listener to, to consider the question why was Jesus who had never done anything wrong nailed on a cross why would God allow that And the answer is this. God deliberately brought the only sinless man of the whole world on a cross to pay for the sins of all those who God wants to call into his kingdom. And that is what he does. He starts calling people with the message, Christ crucified. Think of that. He promises that all those who believe in Jesus and answer the call will be saved. Their sins are paid for and will never be counted against them. That is Christ. The power of God and the wisdom of God. You find it spelled out in verse 24. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So, who are able to see wisdom and power of God in the cross? Only those whom God has called. God reveals Himself in the heart of those who humble themselves. No one can just make a decision one day, well, I'll become a Christian. Forget it. Such a decision is not in your power, friends. God doesn't receive people who invite themselves for whatever reason they come up with. He only receives people whom he has invited and who have subsequently accepted that invitation. Your personal calling by God opens your eyes for the true meaning of the cross. So the cross reveals Christ as the power of God and the wisdom of God verse 25, Paul continues the theme of wisdom and power of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. You might have found it even a bit offensive. I made a title of the powerful foolishness of God. We can't say that, of God, the foolishness of God. But Paul does. And I think it's not just a way of saying, what is the foolishness of God he is talking about? It's this. He wants to bring people to salvation through the message of the cross. That seems foolish, doesn't it? And what's the weakness of God? It is the Son of God hanging on a cross, To people who don't understand the gospel, the death of Jesus on the cross is a display of utter weakness. It is a complete and tragic failure of a promising life. But to those who understand it, it's the most powerful action ever displayed on earth. The Son of God sacrifices himself in order to open the way of reconciliation with God for millions of people. That one act of Jesus reopens the gates of paradise to all those who believe in him. Whether they are Jews or Gentiles, that division doesn't matter any longer. There was a time that the gospel was only for God's own people, the Jews. But since Calvary, it's open to everyone, whether Jews or Gentiles. Ethnic divisions have become totally Irrelevant. For the cross has become the true dividing line between people. You either accept it or you reject it. Let's go one verse more 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, but many, not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Now, I don't want to offend any one of you, my friends, but if I look at you, I see a bunch of ordinary people. Nothing special about you if we apply the standards of this world. Do we have outstanding scholars among us? Or very influential people? Any of you of noble birth? As far as I know, we have no kings or dukes or earls or... Not that those people are automatically excluded. But not many of them make it into the kingdom of God. Some do, however. But God usually saves those who are not special. We're here. God shows the foolishness of the world to shame the wise. God shows the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He shows the lowly things of this world and the despite things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. Well, that's the point about boasting. If it's only by God's calling, if it's only by God's grace that we have accepted the gospel, we have nothing to boast about, to be proud of in ourselves. See, God by choice did it the upside down way so that no one could ever boast in himself. See the point is this if God would only save clever people who in their mind had worked out whom God was then the less intelligent would have no chance of entering the kingdom. See gospel understanding has nothing to do with your own intelligence. And your intelligence can rather be a hindrance than a help to understand the gospel because it makes you proud and you're inclined to boast. God chose to do it his way. He grants his spirit to those he wants to call and to save them. Friends, the ongoing message of the Bible is this. Earthly life is about Finding God, about moving from the group that is perishing to the group of those who are being saved. Cross over from one to the other side. If you have ever boast in anything, let it be in the fact that you found God, or rather that you have been found by Him for that's really the only thing that matters. We started the sermon with the great divide that runs through the world, those who are perishing and those who are being saved. Seriously consider what side you're on. Make sure that you have discovered the powerful foolishness of God and rejoice in it. Let's pray.